welcome to the Oxygenetic Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. You can personalize your hydration strategy today with electrolytes in different strengths that match how you sweat. You can get 15% off your first order, order, <laughs> order <laughs> with your first order with the code OXYGENETIC15. I'm not recording that again. I've screwed up the intro four times in a row now. We're also brought to you by Thriver.co. You can take health tracking to a new level with your personalized at-home finger prick blood test. Use the code OXYGENETIC10 for 10% off all subscriptions. I tell you what, guys, I don't know what is going on with me today. That is my fourth run at getting the, getting the sponsors read out. I've just got off of Zwift and my tongue must be more tired than the rest of me. Ah, how you doing? I hope you've all had a great week. I have been back and getting some gentle runs in in the sunshine. And I've got to say, I've been loving the runs in the sunshine. been loving the run today in the rain. I'm extremely grateful to be healthy again and be happy enough to go out and bimble around on some runs through the countryside. So really enjoying that. And I hope you are too. If you're listening in the UK, I hope you're taking advantage of being able to get outside to exercise. If you're in Italy or Spain, I know you're limited and you're locked down and you're inside and you can't leave your houses. So reading reports from athletes and triathletes over there and hearing from my athletes over there really makes me appreciate how lucky we are. So whenever you've got friends and neighbors moaning about how difficult it is, just remember there's people around the world who've got it a lot worse than we do. Um, I was reading a great article, an interview with uh, with Tamsin Lewis in Triathlete Magazine. She came down with it really hard. A lot of you all know her. She's a, a medical doctor, but she's also a former winner of Ironman UK, former pro triathlete and pro Ironman. Um, she came down with it really badly, and and her account of it, she you know she was really badly down for a week and a half, two weeks, and she thought she'd recovered. She went out for a long walk or a run, and it completely knocked her back on her backside again. So. Word of warning to anyone who gets sick during this time, really expect it to take two weeks or maybe more before you get back to doing anything. And even, you know, if you've been ill for a week and you feel better, don't try and exercise on that day that you start to feel better. Really expect that it's going to go on for 14 days and really look after yourself because there's lots of horrific stories of people getting, you know, that's when people get really sick in that second week. So look after yourself, rest up. Certainly don't be tempted to come back and try doing something hard. Take loads of extra vitamins, really look after yourselves if you're feeling even vaguely sick and just assume that you've got it. I think if you feel ill, treat yourself as though you have, rest up as much as you possibly can and, you know, put your feet up, have a few extra calories. It's not a time to try to be, and the person who needs to hear this advice is me as much as anyone. It's not a time to try and be lean. It's not a time to try and restrict yourself. Let yourself have some extra treats in the evenings and be okay with that. It's a time for self-love and self-care. And that doesn't mean self-restriction. It means put on a few pounds, just relax and get some extra sleep and extra rest. Now, on that note, we've got a cracking interview today with um, Abby Coleman, sports scientist. Um, she's got a degree in sport and exercise science, and she works for as the official sports scientist at Precision Hydration. So we have a great chat about the, uh, the effect of exercise on immune systems, overtraining, stress, heart rate variability, sleep. Um, she's done loads of literature reviews, much more in depth than I have. So it's great to get her on a chat. Really interesting lady. Um, and I got a lot from the interview talking with her. So I think you'll enjoy listening to that. Before we get to that, news and results this week brought to you by our sponsors, Thriver. Now, Thriver do an at-home finger prick blood test. What does that mean? Well, it means if you want to have your blood tested and get your, your vitamin levels tested, your iron level, your testosterone, liver function, vitamin levels, thyroid function, things like that. Traditionally, you had to book to go and see your GP. It took ages to book in. You had to go down to the hospital, probably to the blood clinic and have it done you can literally get this home blood test done and you can personalize it for yourself and exactly what you want to know about. And it takes no more than five minutes from the minute you open the packet to the minute you seal the packet ready to take it back to the post office or just post it through the post box. Okay. As an athlete, it's really interesting to know what's going on in your health. So you can have your iron level checked, testosterone levels, liver function, vitamin B9 and B12, vitamin D, your thyroid function, diabetes, cholesterol, omega-3 and 6. Basically, anything that you can track, Thriver can do a test for. Very reasonably priced as well for what they are. 
and especially given that you do it in your own time. Now, I've been to blood tests before at my GP and it took at least an hour out of my day. So I don't know what you guys rate your hourly rate at, whether it's 20 pounds, 40 pounds, 100 pounds an hour. A whole full set of tests with Thriver comes in between 50 and 70 quid. So just in terms of time saved, it's an absolute no-brainer. And you can use the code OxygenAddict10 for 10% off all of their blood tests. So you can choose what you want your subscription to be. You can have it be a one-off test. You can have the test done every three months, every six months. I haven't done every six months, so I can see what's going on. And it was really key for me when I'd switched to being on a vegan diet and it really didn't suit me. And I had really low energy levels and I was feeling awful. Really quick blood test showed me that my vitamin B12 level was just completely through the floor. And by supplementing with that, that brought it right back up again. So if you're not feeling quite right right now, I think it's a great time to go and have one of these blood tests done and just check out exactly what's going on. And you get feedback from one of the uh, one of the qualified doctors who work for Thriver. So they have GPs and British medical doctors working for them who review your tests. And all of the test data comes back on a really easy to understand app with kind of sliding levels between green and red depending on whether you're in the right areas or not. And any areas that are not in the normal range, a doctor will give you written feedback about it and, if necessary, advise what tests or what changes you need to make. Okay, so check it out over at thriver.co and use the code OxygenAddict10 for 10% off your tests and subscriptions. All right, news this week. First big news, it was only announced about half an hour ago while I was on Zwift still, from the PTO and Challenge and USA Triathlon. Um, they have announced that there's going to be the PTO Middle Distance World Championships with a prize purse of $1 million taking place at Daytona Beach. And um, it's going to happen at Challenge Daytona at the Daytona International Speedway on December 4th, 5th and 6th. So for the pros, they're going to be racing for that million dollar prize, which I think is going to be very well looked for for them after there's been a season of hardly any racing. There's also going to be a whole bunch of other races for age groupers. There's going to be sprint and middle distance triathlons, junior challenge kids races. There's going to be a pro-am relay, 5k, 10k run, walk events, relays, duathlon and aqua bikes. The top six male and female finishers in each middle distance age group are going to get a qualifying entry for the championship middle distance championships, which will take place in May 2021 at X-Bionic alongside um, the rearranged Collins Cup race. So that looks like pretty awesome news for the pros and also for the age group. So they're planning for things to kick off and they're really moving it back into December there. So that's the first that I've heard of, of kind of confirmed, rearranged, let's go again in December. So great news there from Challenge and the PTO. Also some news I've heard of this week. Um, you might remember back when I went down to Super League Malta, I did an interview with a young British lad, the winner of the youth races. His name was Daniel Dixon. Really nice guy, really um, sort of a dominating personality in terms of athletics. He absolutely laid it down and just won by a country mile over anybody else. And he really reminded me of a young Brownlee. He's got that attitude about him. He was really, I mean, go back and listen to the interview. He was really sort of self-assured for a 17, 18 year old um, and a really nice kid as well. I met him, I met his brother, met his dad. And they were a really nice triathlon mad family. Um, so anyway, Dan and his mate Jack Stanton are both going to undertake on the 14th of May, which is both of their 18th birthdays. In fact, I should mention at this point, Jack finished third in Jersey last year and seventh in Malta. And both members of the England Next Generation squad. So both of them very good level athletes. Now get this, right? Turning 18 years old on the 14th of May, they're choosing to celebrate their 18th birthday with 18 solid hours on Zwift, raising money for the NHS. So God bless them. That is a hell of a challenge to take on 18 years old. 18 hours is a good old shift. And especially I was, I was thinking in the shower before, actually, what I was doing on my 18th birthday, and um, 
I was working as a, as a casual worker in the civil service. My co-workers took me to the pub at lunchtime and got me so drunk that I got sent home from work in the afternoon and had to have a little sleep in the afternoon before I could go, even go out with my mates. So that was my entry into the world of drinking. So yeah, I started as I started as I meant to go on back there with my drinking career. So Dan and Jack, I take my hat off to you. That's a, a much better way to celebrate your 18th birthday, I think, than the way I did. Make sure you get some precision hydration down you and uh, keep those electrolytes topped up. All right, Coach's Couch this week. I just want to remind you of our Zwift ride that takes place on Tuesdays at 7.15pm UK time. As I'm recording this, I've just literally got off Zwift myself. The Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast Power Hour. It's a workout that's guaranteed to raise your FTP and give you a faster, more powerful bike leg this coming season. And we've just done the first of our new workouts We've done a mix of 80% of FTP intervals, which are, I'll describe them as comfortably hard. You know, they're, they're an effort you know you're making, but you can still still chat over Discord to your friends. And we've introduced the Matt Bottrell Certified Micro Bursts, also recommended by Dr. Anton Crick. You'll remember in the uh, the interview a few weeks back. So what we do here is we wind up into a sprint over 15 seconds. So we take it from 80%. I wrote them as 150% of FTP, but a lot of us were hitting 200% of FTP today. So really wound up into a pretty full-on effort over, over 10 seconds. Hard enough that you really know that you're working, but short enough that it's over in no time and you don't end up feeling completely wiped. But we did six of them tonight. Boy, oh boy, I could tell I'd done it by the uh, by the end of that workout. So yeah, give it a try. Proper workout. Wind it up over 15 seconds. So for the last five or 10 seconds, you're really giving it the beans at 150 to 200% of FTP. We, uh, we really loved it. We had 119 riders on tonight with us. No sign of Talbot Cox tonight, though. Talbot, if you're listening, get on it, mate. We're hoping for some photographs of us all on your virtual photography tour. Enjoying that on Instagram at the moment. So that's 7.15 p.m. UK time. You can just search on the events uh, for the Oxygenetic Triathlon Power Hour and just click on it to join. And uh, yeah, be there a few minutes before ride time to come ride with us. And also it's worth remembering and mentioning again that over at Team Oxygenetic Coaching, we're offering you the option to come and try a month's worth of coaching with us for just a pound at the moment. So we had quite a nice big uptake on this after last week mentioning it. If you're someone who's not coached at the moment or you're not following a structured workout, we've got what I think is a really good structured week for you. Um, we've got bike workouts on Zwift or structured workouts if you're not on Zwift to power and heart rate. We've got run workouts done that are including some steady runs and some microburst intervals. We've got swim cord workouts. We've got structured strength and conditioning and structured yoga videos you can watch to do as well. And we've got the exercise snacks in there as well. So uh, between three and eight times a day, you can just get a few of those workouts. And I'm, I'm doing press-ups on the hour, every hour still, which is working out really well. Loving that. And uh, yeah, it's given us a real nice structure to our day. So if you've lost your way a little bit at the moment with no races on the horizon, my advice to you is just make the day the thing that you're going to get through. Make the day the thing you're going to tick off. Don't need to think in terms of 18 weeks, 20 weeks, a year ahead to your next event. Just tick off today's workouts and get through it with your members. We're meeting up on Zwift three or sometimes four times a week. We use the Discord app on our phones to chat to each other as we're doing it. So it'd be great to have you alongside with us. Plus, of course, you get to hang out and chat triathlon in the private members Facebook group as well and get some coaching advice in there. So if you fancy it, the link is in the show notes to this. And it's just a pound to get your first month of coaching. And at the end of that, we'll schedule a call with you, see how it's gone. And if you enjoy it and you want to, you can join up for coaching with us. And if not, no worries. We uh, we understand that not everybody wants to sign up for coaching at the moment, but I really think you will benefit. And certainly the feedback from the members we've had during this week has been, you know, they've really enjoyed and benefited from having structured workouts. It's given them something to tick off every day. So come in and give it a try risk-free, pretty much. All right, so over to this week's interview of the week. 
sponsored obviously by Precision Hydration. If you've not taken their online sweat test, which we talk about in the interview, you can find that at precisionhydration.com. They make the best electrolyte supplements going in different strengths to match how you sweat. So if you're an especially salty or an especially heavy sweater and you're doing a lot of indoor training at the moment, you need to replace those electrolytes. Firstly, just for muscle function, but secondly, to help prevent cramps. So I'm a really salty sweater and just one workout without precision hydration gives me hideous calf cramps in the night. In fact, you know, when I first got back into turbo training, I was actually getting cramps during the workout itself. And since I've been taking the precision hydration sachets in my drink, no problems with that at all. So keep on top of your uh, electrolyte intake to keep on top of stopping yourselves getting cramps. Okay, so check out more information over at precisionhydration.com. And remember, you can get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15. All right. Oh, and also you can use the code UPSKILL to get the Precision Hydration course on hydration as part of Training Peaks University. Uh, you get it for $10 instead of 100 So check it out over at Training Peaks University. Again, the link is in the show notes. So here we go. Our interview of the week this week is with Abby Coleman. Abby Coleman, welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you ever so much for having me. Well, it's the opposite way around, Abby. It's thank you for coming on with your expertise and, and helping educate us all um, in the ways of keeping ourselves safe and training effectively during this time of pandemic. Um, so it's great. The guys from Precision Hydration have introduced us. You are, what's your official job title? Are you officially their official sports scientist? That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I can hear the guys saying, yes, abs, yes. <laughs> Officially, sports science, we are going to science the pants off the art and science of training for the next 30 minutes or so. Um, well, I was that excited to get you on. I read the blog that you wrote on the Precision Hydration website that was essentially around, let's talk about um, your immune system, the best way you can keep yourself safe during pandemic and the best way you can still train and get fit, but be at the smallest risk of, you know, getting ill and or exposing yourself to greater risk of catching the virus or not. So I think that's a good place to kick off, really. Let's talk about the science and what the papers say about the effect of exercise on your immune system in general. And then specifically, I think we'll talk about the effect it has on iron and half iron distance athletes. Yeah, absolutely. So taking it back, kind of the early studies into the effects of exercise and the immune system was very much that this immunosuppressive effect existed. So after a bout of exercise, there's a transient period where perhaps we're more susceptible to opportunistic infections. And that all really stemmed from a few papers that came out in the sort of the 1980s, the 1990s, that they followed up on athletes that had just competed a prolonged sort of strenuous mass participation event. So marathons were quite a common event that they used on this. And they okay. followed up with them participants and they asked them, are you suffering from any of the symptoms associated with an upper respiratory infection? So these would be things like a runny nose, a cough or, or a sore throat, essentially. Um, lo and behold, they followed up with a, a pretty significant number of people and a good proportion of them said, yes, I do have one or more of them symptoms. And so that was kind of the first link between exercise and some kind of detrimental effect on our immune system. And that was perhaps where this big myth came that perhaps exercise is really not not great for us um, and our immune system. The big drawback to them studies, of course, is that none of them reports of illness were confirmed in a lab. So they were all self-report, which isn't to say that they weren't genuine. Absolutely, some of them will have been genuine, but we can't know for sure whether yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the bit of the drawback, and that's the argument against them kind of ones, but that was the first kind of inkling that something was maybe going on here, and it definitely sparked more research into the area. And the good thing about them papers was people then started to look more in depth into the topic and what is actually going on in the body then if if people are experiencing a greater susceptibility of illness in the week after a big race or or a big heavy training block because the, the two was 
kind of discussing these papers equally what is it that's happening in the body that that causes that effect so what the research then went on to look at was what was happening to the actual immune cells and what was seen was that during exercise we see a big spike in circulating number of immune cells which is great but unfortunately what was also seen was when exercise ceased that these this number of circulating immune cells rapidly decreased and actually decreased beyond the point that they were pre-exercise so they were lower and that seemed to persist for anywhere from sort of three hours to 72 hours so again a lot of people interpreted that as more evidence of this very real immunosuppressive effect um, where we have fewer immune cells so we're more susceptible um, and only then did they kind of rise back to normal levels sometime in that period. What we now know though or new evidence is starting to suggest is that that was completely misinterpreted and those immune cells weren't lost or destroyed but they were in fact just redistributed in the body um, so they were moved from the bloodstream to places that during exercise might have become infected. So the best example is the lungs. As we all know, when we're exercising, our, our breathing rate increases and our breathing depth increases. So the likelihood of us inhaling something that is perhaps infectious or a pathogen that's going to cause illness increases. And so the body being the very clever machine that it is kind of preempts as having inhaled something um, infectious and moves the immune cells to the location where they're they're going to be best in line to help us um, and that's what that transient decrease was so we've kind of done a complete 360 in the research where it was very strongly believed that this was the case this immunosuppressive effect and now it's kind of swinging the other way and it doesn't appear that an acute bout of exercise per se, um, has that effect. Right. That's interesting, isn't it, in itself then, that we're already starting to question whether or not like a single a single hard session, and I guess that stands to reason, doesn't it, for, just from anecdotal evidence, that a single hard session is going to really suppress your immune system. It's more that it's either a very big block of heavy training or, or a very big, you know, an Ironman, a half Ironman, a prolonged period of hard racing might still have that effect but it seems less likely that just one session on its own will have that effect absolutely right yeah and there's there's two different kind of things there isn't there one as you've just said rob is that acute session which is basically what i've just kind of talked about but you're kind of touching upon a different aspect there and the overall training load and that is kind of a different theory altogether and one you're probably familiar with which is called the j curve yeah, we've talked about this a lot, haven't we? Yeah, so I shall I explain that. Yeah, do yeah, do that'd be great. That aren't aware of that. So the J curve is is very um, fittingly named because that's exactly what the curve looks like—a nice J shape. And along the bottom, you've got training load. On the left-hand side, you've got sedentary, so doing very little at all. Moving towards the right, you've got a moderate overall training load. And then right on the far right, you've got a high training load. Up the y-axis, you've then got your risk of upper respiratory infection. So the risk of getting ill. At the bottom, you've got below average, moving up to an average risk. And right at the top, an above average risk. Now, down at the sedentary level, doing very little, your risk of infection is average. Interestingly, then moving along to a moderate training load, your risk decreases to below average. And that comes back to what we already kind of talked about and how the body um, increases its immune surveillance. Um, a single bout or an appropriate level of training is actually appears to be very good for the immune system. And this sweet spot definitely exists. Yeah. But interestingly, moving up to that high training load, your risk of infection rapidly and significantly increases. And that's where that J shape comes in. So your risk is then above average. And the really interesting thing there is, is your risk is greater than if you're doing nothing at all. So it appears that a really high training load, an inappropriate training load where you're overreaching and overreaching all the time, 
seems to be really, really detrimental. And I think it's it's really important to kind of talk about this on a show where most of our listeners are either iron distance or half iron distance triathletes. Most of them, you know, most of our listeners are busy working age groupers rather than professionals. And so they tend to live in that gray zone of, you know, the very high achieving people. They, they constantly are, are juggling family and work and training and often are living in that gray zone of being overreached a lot of the time. So, you know, the stressed with work, the strung out with family, the strung out with getting the training in on top of it. And I feel like the age groupers are people who are, are more at risk at the moment if they don't sort of change their their habits that they've had recently of unwittingly you know a normal amount of exercise for them might actually be subjecting them to a greater risk of getting sick at the moment just because it's pushing them further up that j curve and giving them a greater risk of uh, greater risk of infection than even if they did nothing at all absolutely yeah i think the current sort of circumstances and the complete change of routine for a lot of people is is causing a lot of stress and that is ultimately what it comes back to whether that is physical stress in your training mental stress or global stress you know there's there's a lot of it at the moment and it's all sort of collating isn't it there's more of all of it yeah but the thing that we can really control is that physical stress so to account for this greater overall stress dialing back on the physical stress we're putting our our bodies under at the moment and to some degree the mental stress is also something we can do something about um, will be really beneficial and as you say prevent people from unwittingly because no one's going to do it purposely moving into that kind of higher risk zone yeah now the paper that i read focused on on marathon runners and it said it, it was going to define sort of the moderate training that almost promoted the immune system it was going to define it as about an hour a day of zone two type running um, and that was shown to increase the immuno response of the body and so looking at that for triathletes what I did was sort of say well you know if we could limit people to an hour a day that'd be great but most of my athletes want to train for half iron and iron distance and if you tell them they're only going to do an iron an hour a day they're going to lose their minds very quickly yeah. <laughs> so we've we've got to what I've tried to do actually is is balance the idea of well you know in an ideal world an hour a day of running every day and then say, right, well, we've got some biking in here as well. So biking's probably a little bit less intense on the system than running at the same percentage of VO2 max might be. So we can either go a little bit harder and do some intervals on the bike, or we can extend a weekend ride up to about 90 minutes and hopefully still be within that kind of catchphrase of moderate levels of exercise and still be promoting immunopositive response rather than suppressing people would that be along the sort of lines you think would be would be a safe kind of level of training for our athletes to be at yeah I think that sounds a really good approach Rob I think fundamentally as long as the overall training load is dialed back that that should be the number one principle sounds like that's what you're doing by putting some kind of guardrails into what people are doing in individual sessions that will dial back that overall load won't it so I sort of I read a few things and dialing it back to 70% or even 50% in in some cases if people are feeling particularly stretched there's no harm in doing that at periods of time like this because there's no races on the cards at the moment you know they're all gone so the period of time that we're in now is all about maintaining health and fitness um, mental well-being and, and just managing the situation getting through it you know we're, to use a phrase that is completely overused at the moment we're in unprecedented times <laughs> and yeah. no one knows how to manage what we're going through so as long as we are all managing it the best we can and in the smoothest way po- possible I think we all deserve a, a pat on the back and the easiest way to kind of do that with your training is to not be overreaching and trying to push for gains at the moment but just maintaining your fitness and that is easier easierly done than perhaps athletes think I think it takes a lot of confidence to dial back your overall training load that will put fear in a lot of people as you said a lot of them will lose their minds at the thought of only running for an hour a day but actually they need to be confident in in that approach and and not fear it there there's such a thing as muscle memory 
and particularly if they've got a good history of endurance training, then it won't take them long at all to really refine that um, fitness back when everything comes back to normality. Um, but for now, just maintaining a good, solid level of fitness is is definitely a good aim. Well, one thing we've noticed with our athletes is initially there was this reaction when we, we sort of produced this new training plan and said, right, we're kind of dialing everything back. We really want to protect you. Nobody knows what's going on at the moment. We're going to do away with your usual Ironman and 70.3 training plans and give you this sort of one hour a day plan. And initially there was, there was quite a bit of pushback from people saying, I really feel like I'm going to lose my fitness if I only do an hour a day. And it was only when we were at the end of sort of week one of the plan or the end of week two of the plan where people said, actually, what I've realized is with only having an hour a day on the plan, I'm doing an hour a day. That's actually as much training as I, I might have been doing before when I was missing two or three sessions a week. And if we look at runners again, if you're running for an hour a day, I don't know, if you're running seven and a half, eight minute miles, it's still 50, 55 miles a week of running. That's a really quite a big run week for everybody except you know, peak marathon build type runners. So it's worth reframing that again. And, and rather than thinking in terms of like, oh, oh, I've got to kind of dial it back, you can sort of look at it the other way and go, I still get to do as much training as I would probably do for most of a marathon training block. And That's I still keep, you know, keep myself safe. Um, I think the thing we're trying to do is is wind people back in from doing really long bike rides Um or lots of really hard interval sessions. And I think just taking a bit off the intensity of interval training is enough that people get that mental release still, but they don't put themselves at that risk of, you know, getting, getting infections. Yeah. And definitely dialing back on the high intensity is, is advisable because although acutely it doesn't have the exercise itself, you know, per se is not, detrimental to our immune system the factors around that so you really want to avoid any glycogen depletion at at times like this because low energy availability is known to spike uh, the risk of illness and injury and getting injured right now would just be an athlete's worst nightmare wouldn't it when you're confined to your house and you've got to be laid up as well Um, that's absolutely what you want to avoid Um, and just with when you do high intensity exercise, you really need to make sure that you're giving yourself enough time to recover. Um, so I think definitely easing off the high intensity work would be advised. If you really want to do an interval session on the bike, then you can, but you, you need to be very conscious of giving yourself enough time to recover, giving you, to yourself plenty of fueling, plenty of good um, hydration, making sure that you're managing psychological stress around that and anxiety and, and make sure that you, you kind of, you know, in a good place to do that kind of stuff. And also another good tip, which is perhaps a, another com- a conversation, but um, just be monitoring any signs of overtraining during this time. Just increase your self-awareness. Um, lean on people like yourself. You know, your athletes can lean, come to you, Rob, and talk to their coaches about this. Um, but being really self-aware of of how you're coping in the in the current situation and play it day by day. I think have a schedule and a routine of some kind. Um, but every day, I can speak from personal experience, is a roller coaster at the moment. Yeah, isn't, isn't it just? <laughs> some days you feel really, really good and quite positive and really highly motivated. And other days you just feel completely lackluster, no motivation quite you know full of worry and and anxious about the what's to come and things so I think just going easy on yourself and and yes good self-awareness at the moment is is needed and if you feel that you're in a position to do a higher intensity bout of exercise then speak to your coach about it see what they think and if they give you the go ahead don't fear doing that exercise as long as you recover hydrate and fuel properly but typically that the moderate exercise is definitely going to be safer at this point i think is is going to be one of the big take-home messages from this conversation yeah. isn't it rob i like that you're giving everyone um 
<laughs> giving them the green light to eat more carbs. I love that. There you go. Absolutely. We, <laughs> we've got it from a sports scientist. Get the chocolate biscuits out. <laughs> Absolutely. It's ginger nuts for me, Rob. Oh, is it really? Ginger nuts for it you. I'm a, I'm a chocolate hobnobs kind of person at the moment. I'm, I've had to lock them up, actually, because I'm, I'm a danger to myself. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. We're all reaching for more sugar at the moment, aren't we? Yeah. More, more snacks. Well, I think you made a very good point earlier on when you said, it's more than more than just about balancing training load. It's also about balancing the stress. And so while it might be an optimal, you know, in an optimal world, if we were all androids, we could go, I'm going to do an hour or up to an hour of moderate intensity exercise. But every one of the athletes I've spoken to has echoed exactly what you just said, which is that some days are better than others. Some parts of some days are much harder than others. And some days in order to kind of help balance the mental stress for a really bad day or a really tough day, they just really want to get on the bike and go hard for five or 10 or 15 minutes. And I've come around to this way of thinking over the last few weeks. Like I said, initially, my response was, we're doing nothing hard. We're going to try and wrap you in cotton wool. In terms of intensity, we're going to dial it all right down. And what I've seen with everyone I've had interactions with is, Everybody needs almost like one blowout session every week where, you know, it's that line, everything in moderation, including moderation. And the mental release people get from doing one session where they do let themselves off the leash for five or 10 or 15 minutes seems to outweigh any potential stress from worrying about catching the illness, if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that's what Andy, Andy being my boss, founder of Precision Hydration, yeah. you, know, you know him very well, Rob, um, is doing. He's predominantly running. He's um, very much a, a swim runner nowadays, um, but he's moved his Watt bike into his um, outdoor shed. And once a week, he's jumping on there and doing some hard intervals just for exactly the same reason you just outlined, really. I think sometimes you just crave that, don't you, to yeah. really feel like you're pushing and, and it feels good. So, yeah, I think there's no harm in doing that if if you're conscious that you're in a, a good state to do that at that time. Mm. And I think what you said as well about the idea of if you're going to do it, take all the precautions, make sure you're well hydrated, make sure you, you get plenty of carbs in afterwards and you don't get low blood sugar, make sure you recover properly from it. And more than anything, it's stopping people hammering themselves by doing something hard every day. <laughs> you know dial it back five six days of the week and if you just have one interval session where you've got some harder stuff going on and that's your release for the week then great but i think it's the overall balance of stress it's probably the bigger danger rather than just looking at the training stress on its own i completely agree yeah look at stress on a global level have you found on like firstly on a personal level have you found that some nights you sleep fine and other nights your sleep is completely disturbed and weird with crazy dreams. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What's going so on with that? That someone else is experiencing that. I had an awful night's sleep last night. It just took me ages to drop off. Yeah. I was really restless. And I think to, there's probably a few reasons. One, again, our anxiety and our worry is perhaps higher um, and is having an impact. But perhaps some days when we're not being as active as we usually would in our normal lives. Um, you know, we're sitting around the house more often. Perhaps we've got this more buildup of energy, excess energy. We're not burnt it off enough in the day. So perhaps we're, we're not feeling as physically tired. Although I know myself, I'm more mentally fatigued than I was. Yeah, um, yeah I agree it, with that as well, for sure. Yeah, all the, the screen time and things um, is definitely playing a big effect on how I feel mentally um, tired. Um, so I think that probably has an effect. But also, I think my just sleep routine has got a lot worse. So to the ways you, prior, you sleep better is you make it a priority. You make sure that you've got a nice, dark, cool, uh, quiet environment to sleep. You switch off any screens at least half an hour before going to bed, if not an hour. Uh, and have a regular bedtime and a regular waking time and really just make sure that what sleep you're going to get is quality and I know that with the loss of routine my bedtimes were changing I'm waking at different times because yeah. you know your whole routine is gone and suddenly I don't have to be up at seven to go and drive to work I just 
I just pop downstairs and start working. So <laughs> I think it's probably a whole a whole number of things um, as to why sometimes we sleep better than other nights. I think it probably coincides with some days we feel really good and some days we feel not so good. And it's probably all, all linked to mindset in some way and how much we're kind of whirling away in our mm. brain, whether we can switch it off or off it not. I love your tip about trying to switch your screen time off half an hour before bed because that's something that I would usually be be pretty good at. I would usually turn the phone and the computer off and go and read a book, but I'm finding that my bedtime has been gradually creeping a bit later and I've been lying in bed either scrolling through Twitter or reading articles almost as though like my brain needs in some way to you know see what president trump has said now kind of thing as i've got any kind of control over it and although i recognize that that's not a great habit to be and i find it very difficult to control that and i recognize it would be much better for me overall and i feel better on the days i can kind of fight that demon i'm often losing to that demon and, and reading twitter late at night so you know any tips around that i'd be so gratefully received because i think so many people go through this yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've been atrocious at that. And I think because we're all, we are digesting more information at the moment as well, aren't we? We've got more time yeah. to, on our hands to be doing more reading. So it does creep in and typically towards our bedtime when, you know, we're not officially working anymore. So you've got that time to do that. I think just obvious things like pick up a book. I'm trying to make a really conscious effort of putting my phone away and reading a book. I've done just done a big book order. Um, that I'm going to start making my way through um, would be the the best advice and just really good self-discipline, just being aware that that's what you're doing and is having a negative effect on how you're sleeping and just leaving your phone somewhere else, leaving it downstairs or away from the bed so you you just have no temptation to pick it up, I suppose, just really easy things. On the note of sleep, one thing I did miss off on the kind of the point before – was I don't know about you, Rob, but I'm drinking a lot more caffeine than yeah. <laughs> I did before. Am I ever? <laughs> yeah. So I think limiting your caffeine intake in the afternoon as well is a is a big one because caffeine can stay in your system in some people for you know, eight, nine, ten hours. So I think limiting any caffeine intake after sort of two two p.m. maybe even midday would be another good piece of sound advice for someone really struggling to sleep at at this point in time and what effect does um when we look at the science of the effect of having a decent night's sleep on the markers of your immune system what does that show abby yeah good point well sleep has loads of effects it affects almost our entire system so the big one is hormones when we're getting inadequate sleep all our hormones go into a bit of disarray um and so that will have a big effect on our stress levels. So sleep and stress are very closely linked. Um, and that stress then has the impact on your immune system. If we're under too much stress, the body is less adapt at fighting off infection. So that's the kind of the link there. Stress, uh, sorry, sleep increases our stress levels because it spikes our cortisone. So cortisol, cortisol, sorry, is the stress hormone. Um, which if we're not getting enough sleep, we have more cortisol circulating in the body. And that I then. I see. Yeah. So, so it's almost like it's a, it's almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? We're stressed, stressed and anxious. So we can't sleep. So we feel more stressed and anxious because we haven't slept well. Absolutely. Very much a vicious cycle. Yeah. And you wake up tired. So you drink more caffeine, you drink, you eat more sugar which then has a negative effect on how you're sleeping. And it's all it's all a downhill cycle. Uh, <laughs> quick, Rob, say something positive because we were going very negative. Well, I'm, I'm thinking the opposite way, actually. I'm thinking this sounds like this is going to be my new thing today. I'm, I'm going to make a concerted effort and commit that my phone doesn't come in the bedroom at bedtime tonight. The screen's going to be off for half an hour before my, I'm going to be, I'm going to say I want to be asleep at 11. So I'm going to say screens off at 10. I'm going to read a book for half an hour and then the light goes off and I'm just going to, I'm going to give it a try and see what happens. And I suppose it's probably just an application of discipline to something like we would with a training program. Like it takes discipline to get yourself up at six to get to the pool in normal life. Mm-hmm. We've just got to kind of maybe I'll write the bedtime thing into my training plan and say, 
to tick the box off, you've got to be in bed at 10 and light off at 11 and the phone's got to be left outside the room. So I think just making a plan really helps me. And I think it probably does most people as well. Turning your attention to something means you're more likely to do it. Yeah, absolutely. An athlete that I worked with has a great saying that if it's measured, it's managed. And I think that's applicable to to this in that if you're kind of making yourself accountable by writing it down, putting it in your training log, then it gets managed. You do something about it, you act on it um, and you change it. So I think absolutely agree with that, Rob. I think let me know, drop me an email on how to go for Yes, I will definitely. I'm I'm making notes here in the background to say add it into your training picture count as soon as we finish talking. Right, well, let's, let's add in a sort of final word from the sponsors here. Obviously, we know you work for Precision Hydration. So... I have personally found, and you know, the long-time listeners will have, have heard me rabbit on about this ad infinitum. I get woken up in the night by horrific night cramps. In my, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's so horrific, but calf cramps, particularly that lock so hard, I get out of bed yelping sometimes. If I've sort of been on the turbo and I haven't taken care of having electrolytes in my drinks bottle, the electrolytes seem to take it away to the point where there's a direct correlation for me. If I've had the electrolytes in the drinks bottle, I don't get cramp. If I forget for whatever reason or I'm short of time and I think, oh, it'll be fine, I'll wake up at two in the morning with my calf locked solid. What's the connection between sort of good hydration and preventing those kind of cramps happening in the night? Yeah, so first of all, it's great to hear that it's been beneficial for you. Oh, it's like magic for me, I tell you. Because <laughs> they are a nightmare, aren't they? Calf cramps yeah. are extremely common and it does feel like you've almost been, you know, shot in the leg and it can feel bruised the day after. Yeah, and yeah. It's just awful, isn't it? So it all comes back to a, a sodium deficit and it is kind of, there's a good link out there in the research between the two, but it's it's not a solid link and it's a, because it's a very hard thing to study mm. and cramping is not solely for everyone uh, sodium or electrolyte uh, linked. So it, it can be okay. the cause for a lot of people, hence why, you know, we do what we do. But there are many other causes of, of cramping for you. It, it clearly is an electrolyte thing because when you act on it and you you do something about it, you don't experience it. So that's a very good indication that for you it's the electrolytes but it all kind of comes down that um, electrolytes particularly sodium is involved in in muscle contractions and so the idea is that when we're low on sodium because you know from a prolonged period of exercise or you've been sweating a lot and you've lost a lot of sodium through your sweat um, when the body is low everything kind of malfunctions a little bit. Sodium is needed for proper muscle contractions. When it's not there, um, your blood plasma volume contracts. Sodium is very, very important in fluid balance. And it kind of causes a misfiring of, of nerves. It's kind of the, the theory. But as I say, it's very difficult to study. Um, we hope that in the near future or not too far in the future, there's some really good papers that come out on cramping and electrolyte use because anecdotally like you Rob there's loads of evidence of it being highly effective but trying to get someone to cramp in a lab is both, <laughs> it's both very very difficult and potentially you know unethical so yeah of course it's, it's it must tricky. be incredibly difficult to you'd have to have somebody sitting there for ages on the on the off chance it happens wouldn't you absolutely absolutely and so the studies that have come about are all kind of electrically stimulated muscle cramps which in itself is perhaps a drawback you know is that a real muscle cramp or not um and everyone knows that muscle cramping is a lot more common in the field you know in races so to go you'd have to go and field test and again that's really hard because field testing is pretty uncontrolled there's lots of variable factors um so it's challenging but um, that's the kind of theory around it, and there's a lot of success for a lot of people on it. But there are other causes of cramping, which we always like to say because you know it's not a magic bullet for everyone. Um, sometimes cramping can be related to glycogen depletion or biomechanical factors and things. So there are other causes, but um, the electrolyte depletion is certainly a big one. Nice one. Hey, well, listen, this has been a fascinating conversation, Abby. Where can people go to find out more about you and the writing that you've done for PH? 
If they head to the Precision Hydration website, so it's www.precisionhydration.com, um, along the top bar there's a tab titled Blogs and there's keyword searchable in there. So um, if you type in my name, all my blogs will, will come up on there. All right, great stuff. Hey, well, listen, thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed this and, uh, and got a lot from it and I hope we can catch up with you again soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Abby there. Um, I've got to say, since we recorded that interview, I've gone ahead and instigated exactly what I said I was going to do. I added a little box into Training Peaks that said bedtime routine, and I've limited myself. Well, not every day, but I've tried my hardest. Most days I managed this, so three days out of four. I managed to get the screens off 30 minutes before bed, left the phone outside the bedroom to charge, which that was absolutely key for me, leaving the phone outside the bedroom because it meant I just haven't got that temptation to pick it up and have a look at it as I was lying in bed. I've been going to bed earlier. I've been deciding when I read a good book for half an hour and turning the lights off at 11. Like I said, I've managed that for probably three out of four days since the interview. And that's a massive win. I think it'd be great if I was doing it seven days out of seven but even managing to do it for three out of every four days is a massive improvement and I've been feeling better as a result of it as well it's really interesting how it's taken someone else to point it out to me to get me to make a commitment to treat bedtime as though it's a training session and the result has been as we'd expect it to be what gets managed gets done and I've managed to get myself into bed early and get more sleep and feel better as a result of it. So yeah, I encourage you to give that a go. Give it, give it just a very tiny little thing. It's simple, but it's not easy. Give yourself something challenging to do that's going to change your routine and hopefully do something today that's going to make your tomorrow better. Well, that just about brings us to the end of this week's show. Thanks very much to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. You can get 15% off your first order using the code OxygenAddict15. Thriver.co, you can get 10% off all subscriptions with the code OxygenAddict10 for your at-home personalized finger prick blood tests. And also, if you want to buy some Athletic Greens, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash OxygenAddict and you'll get 20 free travel packs worth over £60 with your first purchase. Remember, we've still got our £1 offer on our training plans as well at the moment. So you can join Team Oxygen Addict, get a month's worth of training for just a pound. Hopefully, you'll really love it and stick around with us. But if not, what have you got to lose? You get yourself some structured training and hopefully that will help improve your life as well. So remember, there's links in the show notes to all of these sponsors so you don't have to remember them. Until next week, have a great safe training and racing week, everyone. I'm Coach Rob Wilby and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. See ya. 